Thank you for listening to this message from the Altar Fellowship. I have to share with you about the holiness of work. Sounds very exciting, doesn't it? Tonight, I, I have to share with you about the holiness of work. Um, you know, most of this week, I have been at my house uh, working on putting together a swing set. Now, if you have ever put together a swing set, you know it's an adventure. Uh, I, I, I did it for the first time probably six or seven years ago, actually, with Jacob Ransom. And um, I think I swore we took a blood oath after that we'd never do it again and here here I am uh doing it doing it again and um you know I was reminded today while I'm screwing stuff in and getting frustrated you know saying some saying some words that are probably not befitting of the pastor of of a, a church and um Christian cuss words you know you know I'm tiptoeing around the actual thing but uh and I'm getting frustrated, right? And it's, it's hard. It's hard, tedious, uh, frustrating, sometimes discouraging work. And, uh, and I was reminded today of, uh, of something I believe Holy Spirit spoke through me years ago. We, when we lived in Mobile, we had a pool. And um, pools also are a lot of work. And one day I was skimming leaves out of this pool. And you have to, be a, you have, a, have, to have a PhD in chemistry to know how to take care of a pool. And so... Um, it, it was just always out of control. We didn't know what we were doing. And, uh, and I'm skimming leaves out of the pool one day. And I'm just, I'm dancing and I'm singing and I'm so full of life. And as I'm skimming these leaves out, I'm thanking God that I have a pool to skim leaves out of. I'm thanking God that he's given me a house with a pool for my kids to sleep in. I'm just rejoicing in the goodness of the gifts that the Lord has given me. And, um, and I start to think this is probably not the demeanor of most people who are doing hard work like this work that I'm doing. And, um, and I, I, I just said sort of impulsively, instinctively, I said out of my spirit, yeah, but what they call work, I call worship. I said what they call work, I call worship. And, um, and I, I said the phrase, I think, without really considering the implications of it, but, but through the years, this has become a mantra for me. We, uh, as I, I think you all know, we, we moved our family um, from s- South Alabama. Now, moving a family of five is not an easy thing to do. Uh, you know, moving a ministry is not an easy thing to do. Planting a church is not an easy thing to do. We moved into a rental house, and then six months later, we bought a house and moved again. And um, uh, we moved onto a farm which running a farm is not an easy thing to do. And all of these things require, they demand work. But, but as we approach them and as we deal with the difficulty or the frustration or the, uh, the, 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 the hardship or the perceived suffering uh, that, that come because of the work that we've said yes to, we are, are given an opportunity to approach that work as if it's something more than just work. We're able to approach that work like it's worship. Like it is our way of saying thank you to the God that gave us that farm. 
but the God that called us to this amazing church or the God that gave us the pool or the God that gave me kids that deserve an awesome swing set to play on. The God that gave our community so many amazing kids that I know through the years are going to swing on that swing set and climb on those monkey bars. And, and as I'm putting it together, this is my act of worship to the God that, that has surrounded us with children that are going to play on this play set. The, the God that has given us the money to be able to afford that swing set. This is how we worship God. It, what, they, what the world calls work, we can call worship. And uh, as I was in my office preparing for the message um, this evening, Holy Spirit brought me back to this book. If, if you're not familiar with this book, I, I assume most of you are probably not. This is uh, my all-time favorite book. Greatest book ever written outside of the Bible, in my opinion. I have given away more copies of this book than I can remember. There's multiple copies. I think there's one on a shelf in my house, one or two on shelves in my house. There's a couple in my office because I just I give them away like candy. And um, this is my, fa- my favorite book. It's, it's um, The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. It was written in the um, early 1900s. And uh, the, the premise of the book is really, really simple. Um, the premise of the book is that there is a, a prophet named Al-Mustafa. And he uh, has been living in a city for many years. And the time has come for him to leave that city. And uh, when the time comes for him to leave the city, all the people in the city, they gather together. Uh, and they, they just realize this, this man of God has been with us all this time. And we've never really questioned him. We've never really put pressure on, uh, on his unique perspective and on his insight and wisdom. And so they, they all sort of gather around, um, you know, and, and merchants come and they ask him about buying and selling and mothers come and they ask him about raising children and, um, you know, farmers come and they ask him about uh, growing crops, sowing and reaping. And, and there's, there's all of these different topics and the prophet just shares his heart with them. And then at the end of the story, he leaves and that's, that's the end. But um, I... Uh, I was reminded today as I was praying for you about one of what I think is, is one of the more profound statements in this book. And, and uh, I, I want to read uh, two sections to you. The, the, the first is the section on work. It says this. It says, then the plowman said, speak to us of work. And he, that is the prophet, he answered saying, you work that you may keep pace with the earth and the soul of the earth. For to be idle is to become a stranger unto the seasons and to step out of life's procession that marches in majesty and proud submission towards the infinite. When you work, you are a flute through whose heart the whispering of the hours turns to music. Which of you would be a reed, dumb and silent, when all else sings together in unison? Always you have been told that work is a curse and labor a misfortune. But I say to you that when you work, you fulfill a part of earth's furthest dream, assigned to you when that dream was born, and in keeping yourself with labor, you are in truth loving life. And to love life through labor is to be intimate with life's inmost secret. But if you in your pain call birth an affliction and the support of the flesh a curse written upon your brow, then I answer that naught but the sweat of your brow shall wash away that which is written. 
you have been told also that life is darkness and in your weariness you echo what was said by the weary. And I say that life is indeed darkness save when there is urge and all urge is blind save when there is knowledge and all knowledge is vain save when there is work and all work is empty save when there is love. And when you work with love, you bind yourself to yourself and to one another and to God. And what is it to work with love? It is to weave the cloth with threads drawn from your heart, even as if your beloved were to wear that cloth. It is to build a house with affection, even as if your beloved were to dwell in that house. It is to sow seeds with tenderness and reap the harvest with joy, even as if your beloved were to eat the fruit. It is to charge all things you fashion with a breath of your own spirit and to know that all the blessed dead are standing about you and watching. Often I have heard you say, as if speaking in sleep, he who works in marble and finds the shape of his own soul in the stone is nobler than he who plows the soil. And he who seizes the rainbow to lay it on a cloth is in the likeness of man is more than he who makes the sandals for our feet. But I say, not in sleep, but in the overwakefulness of noontide, that the wind speaks not more sweetly to the giant oaks than to the least of all the blades of grass. And he alone is great who turns the voice of the wind into a song made sweeter by his own loving. Listen to this next line. Work is love made visible. Work is love made visible. Work is love made visible. And if you cannot work with love, but only with distaste, it is better that you should leave your work and sit at the gate of the temple and take alms from those who work with joy. For if you bake bread with indifference, you bake a bitter bread that feeds but half of man's hunger. And if you grudge the crushing of the grapes, your grudge distills a poison into the wine. And if you sing, though as angels, and love not the singing, you muffle man's ears to the voices of the day and the voices of the night. We have to understand that that work is not a... It's not a, a, a necessary evil. Work is not a burden to be grudgingly handled until we can get back to laziness again. Work is love made visible. Work is our the, the means by which we are able to worship the God that gave us the means to work. Work is not something we ought to be intimidated or frustrated or discouraged or overwhelmed with. Work is something that we should joyfully approach for the glory of the God who has invited us into the building of a brighter tomorrow. And if if work is love made visible, if work is love made visible, then I want to also explore what love looks like. And there's a section in this book, The Prophet, on on love. And so I, I have to read this as well. It says this, It says, then said Almitra, that is one of the characters in the book, speak to us of love. And he raised his head and looked upon the people and there fell a stillness upon them. And with a great voice, the prophet said, when love beckons to you, follow him. 
Though his ways are hard and steep, and when his wings enfold you, yield to him. Though the sword hidden among his pinions may wound you, and when he speaks to you, believe in him. Though his voice may shatter your dreams as the north wind lays waste the garden. For even as love crowns you, so shall he crucify you. I want, you, I want to make sure you heard that. For even as love crowns you, so shall he crucify you. Even as he is for your growth, so he is for your pruning. Even as he ascends to your height and caresses your tenderest branches that quiver in, in the sun, so shall he descend to your roots and shake them in their clinging to the earth. Like sheaves of corn, he gathers you unto himself. He threshes you to make you naked. He sifts you to free you from your husks. He grinds you to whiteness. He kneads you until you're pliant. And then he assigns, assigns you to his sacred fire that you may become sacred bread for God's sacred feast. All these things shall love do unto you that you may know the secrets of your heart and in that knowledge become a fragment of life's heart. But if in your fear you would seek only love's peace and love's pleasure, I want, I want you to hear this part. But if in your fear you would seek only love's peace and love's pleasure, then it is better for you that you cover your nakedness and pass out of love's threshing floor into the seasonless world where you shall laugh but not all your laughter and weep but not all of your tears. Love gives not but itself and takes not but from itself. Love possesses not, nor would it be possessed, for love is sufficient to love. When you love, you should not say, God is in my heart, but rather, I am in the heart of God. And think not that you can direct the course of love, for love, if it finds you worthy, will direct your course. Love has no other desire but to fulfill itself. But if you love and must needs have desires, let these be your desires to melt and be like a running brook that sings its melody to the night, to know the pain of too much tenderness, to be wounded by your own understanding of love, and to bleed willingly and joyfully, to wake at dawn with a winged heart and give thanks for another day of loving, to rest at the noon hour and meditate on love's ecstasy, to return home at evening, eventide with gratitude, and then to sleep with a prayer for the beloved in your heart and a song of praise upon your lips. I, um, I have been hurt because I've tried love and I've never regretted it. Nothing in life has hurt me more than, than putting work to my love and then being let down at the end of it. And I wouldn't change a thing. And I wouldn't change a thing. And so tonight I, I, um, I don't want to drag this out for too long. But I, I, I feel a, a pressing burden for the leaders in our community to be people who are unashamedly surrendered to love. Who are not concerned with reputation, with ambition, with climbing the ladder, making a name for themselves. Advancing a, a brand or a business 
but who are willing to yield to the leadership of the, the one we call love, that is Jesus. Uh, to know that that path is a path that includes work, it includes pain, it includes disappointment, but to yield to it nonetheless because love is simply worthy. Because we could have the biggest church in the world. We could heal all the sick. We could raise all the dead. We could absolutely nail every prophetic word. We could have the, the highest selling Christian album of all time. I could write the next New York Times best selling smash hit Christian book. But if we do not have love, all is lost. If we do not have love, all is lost. I feel a correction in my spirit and the, the theologian in me is fighting against it. I, I'm going to have to just go with this. I feel the Lord saying, no, you can have the biggest church and you can sell the most books, and the most albums, you can reach the world, perform every miracle, but if love does not have you, all is lost. If love does not grip us, if love does not lead us, if love does not carry us, if love does not command us, everything else we do is a waste of our time and everyone else's. I'm, I'm convinced today that love is our only hope. In, in the, the political climate, in the economic climate, in the cultural climate, I'm convinced that love is our only hope. But I'm also more determined than ever to believe and to proclaim that love is all we need. To love the people that God puts in our life enough to care for them even if they don't care for themselves. To fight for them even if they won't fight for themselves. To stand for them even if they won't stand for themselves. To believe for them even if they won't believe for themselves. Love is willing to do what love does no matter what the object of our affection says about it. I don't need your agreement. I don't need you to see in yourself what I see in you. I will love you and there's just nothing you can do to stop me. <laughs> God, I pray that you break our hearts for the lost and dying world around us. God, would you awaken our hearts to love? Awaken our hearts to love that we might make our love visible by the work that we do every day. God, would you make us a people that don't shy away from work, but that work in joy and in peace because we know that work is love made visible. And God, would you make your love visible in each of us and by the way that we work. Lord, Lord awaken us to love our co-workers. Awaken us, God, to love our family members. Awaken us, God, to love our children, our spouses, 
brothers and sisters, our fathers and mothers. God, awaken us to love even casual acquaintances, the, the people that normally we would walk by. God, would you like expand our capacity to care, like to really care about the people that we come into contact with? God, would you make our hearts tender and vulnerable enough to be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the, the benefit of the people you bring in our life, God. Just mess up our schedule for the sake of love. Mess up our plans for the sake of love. God, would you take every other agenda, every other set of priorities and put them on the back burner to love. Make love the weapon we wield, the message we preach, and the compass we follow. Oh, we don't merely want to be receivers of love. We want to be conduits of love, portals through which your love can can burst forth into a world that so desperately needs to see it. So Lord, we surrender right now. Lord, we surrender right now to your love. We ask you, God, that in your love that you would come and, and make war against any other priority, every other lover, every other uh, thing that fights for our attention or our affection. Would you come right now, God, and awaken us to the reality of your love. Would you corner us, conquer us, overwhelm us right now. Grip us, God, with your incredible love for us. That we might be as convinced of our place with you as you are. Teach us to love like you do. Teach us to love like you do. Teach us to love like you do, Father. love you, Lord. And teach us to love you more. Take a deep breath. He loves you, and there's nothing you can do to make him stop. He loves you. His mind is made up about you. He loves you. He loves you. There has never been anything more important to him than loving you. that he accomplished, the work that he finished on the cross is that love made visible. 
So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what is the work that we do and what is the work that we can do to make our love visible to those he's put in our life? Because love felt will never accomplish as much as love demonstrated. I love you. I'm thankful to be a part of this community. Thank you for being here tonight. Let's just see where love takes us next. I'll see you Sunday morning. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to this service from the Altar Fellowship. We pray that you were impacted powerfully by this message. If you have been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with the Altar as we work to establish the Kingdom of Heaven, please visit our website at www.thealtar.org for more information.